0: I just put a spoonful of food in my mouth. <laughs>
1: go for it. No. <laughs> go. Uh.
0: This is totally getting edited, isn't it? Welcome to Reactive. Uh, this week, we have uh, me, your friendly rockbot, uh, a.k.a. Raquel Bellez, and Henning. Hello. Um, once again, Khalil has ditched us. Um, I mean, no, he didn't ditch us. He just went to Thailand or something, 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 vacation, self-care, whatever. We really know uh, that he is hanging out with the Vietnamese Javan rhinoceros. Or maybe it's the, uh, what was it? The, the
1: lesser false vampire bat. Yeah.
0: I think maybe, maybe he'll,
1: depending on how he's going to be t- gone 10 days or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so maybe the first half will be the rhino, and then he'll go check out the bats. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe he's
0: with a false killer whale.
1: Oh, they have it's that, not, too?
0: It's, it's not a true killer whale, just a false killer. So, um, reactive listeners, I'm currently looking at, the, uh, at Wikipedia's list of species native to Thailand. Because, you know, Khalil just got on a plane and left us. So I am left to my own devices to figure out who he's hanging out with um you know
1: yeah we'll put a link in the show notes and then we can have like a a guessing game in the slack exactly
0: yes yes and the one to 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 guess the closest without going over wins some sort of prize (laughs) (laughs) sounds great
1: yeah
0: (laughs) irrawaddy (laughs) dolphin yes
1: yeah
0: large give it anyway okay um Um, (laughs) so have fun on vacation khalil
1: yes enjoy Sounds like a really great time.
0: Yeah, I know. I I've only heard amazingly beautiful things about Thailand, so we're expecting
1: trip from here. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And the weird thing is, he just left now. As spring has actually started in this country uh, or continent,
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: everything has turned green in the last, like the last few trees outside my window of sort of exploded in green which is very refreshing and uplifting over the weekend where i did some gardening so i i have like i'm trying to get everything that sort of died and you know had to be put in the basement um <clears throat> over the winter to get mm. that all blooming again cuz i don't know i take a lot of uh, joy of you know gardening itself and then just having plants and stuff around so i have like uh you know these huge window boxes with geraniums that hang over the, the windowsill. They they get like one and a half meters long, so it looks pretty cool. Wow! Like fire, that's awesome. fire red, yeah. So that's yeah, we did that, and um, yes, I have to say this. Um, you know, I don't know that the gray is gone for good. It never is here, but uh, at least there's a lot more blue sky. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the it really is like six months of gray, rainy, cold, and there's no Mm -hmm. amount of vitamin D pills that will make that better. (laughs) So things are looking up.
0: Yay. uh, Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, as we enter into the summer months uh, here in in California, in Northern California, in the Bay Area, it's just gray. It's gray. Like the biggest misnomer is... When people come to the Bay Area in like the summer and they're like, I'm going to California and packing the shorts and the tank tops and the flip flops and everything. And they get here and they're like, I'm so cold (laughs) (laughs) because it's windy and cloudy and gloomy and gross. And the real Bay Area summer isn't actually until the fall.
1: Huh. I didn't know that. I thought, yeah, that's weird. Gloomy, gloomy, California. That doesn't even make any sense either. The few times I've been there, it's been gorgeous.
0: Yeah. Well so like the best times are like April April May tends to be pretty okay. Um I know we're like in the middle of May right now, but um and then Ooh. like July is like the worst month. Don't huh. come to San Francisco in July or June. And like and you can always tell when people have like packed incorrectly because like it's the one time that you see people all over the city uh wearing the big like San Francisco hoodies and like size triple extra large because it was the only one available. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, you didn't get the memo. Oh no. Like and they're shivering and they're like, that's so cold. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's year-round hoodie weather. Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, aye. But at least so I live in the East Bay, so we get more sun. It at least burns off the fog yeah. by around days. So like right around now um, it's, it's just afternoon here. Uh, it's, it's starting, like the sun's starting to come out and it'll stay out till about four or five in the evening. And then, and then it starts to get cloudy again. You can actually see the fog rolling in and you're like, no, I like my sunshine. Anyway. Um, so, you know, fun times. Yeah. Um, so, so what's going on this week?
1: Well, um. Still not all that much, but uh, <clears throat> secret missions and stuff. But uh, I, I did some reading. I found a, an interesting article about teaching C, and uh, that sort of brought back memories, and I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about that and see what your experience was with that. Because even though C was not the first language that I learned, um, you know, it was probably the one that I, I, I don't know, officially learned or learned the best, Um, So I kind of see it as my first. So anyway, Mm -hmm. so this professor, John Reger, um, he's a professor of computer science at the University of Utah. And um, he, I guess, got asked by someone, you know, what he should or what he would suggest to look out for um, or what he would suggest to someone teaching a C class in a college. Mm. And uh, when I read this, I just realized, you know, that um, my, my intro to C kind of sucked and that was kind of sad. Um, but so sort of the things that he, he suggests and that, you know, they make perfect sense. And, um, I don't know why, you know, in my case or probably in many other cases, these things are not done, but basically, you know, the goal should be to, um, have the student be able to answer the question if C is appropriate is the appropriate choice for solving the problem at hand? And I don't know if if this is you know an undergraduate level thing, if you have enough experience, even if you have a you know a really good C class to answer that question because um, I think you need more experience with other languages um, and just more of an overview of the the entire technology stack and a I just don't think most people have that in in college yet, but mm-hmm. um, that is, is is a good goal. And uh, the way he suggests to to get there is is basically to um, read modern C and good C code. And that is something that we were not encouraged to do, and it obviously <laughs> didn't occur to me. And maybe you know, things like he suggests, you know go and look at the source code for Redis, for example and um, mm-hmm. you'll get like a really good sense of what things are supposed to look like in modern and maintainable C. And then you should probably also go and look at really bad C, which is probably most of the C that makes the world work, right? Think mm-hmm. of PHP <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is basically in, in, in C, uh, open SSL. <clears throat> and the way he put it here, I love this, he said, you know, go and look at the PHP interpreter and it'll make your, it'll basically, basically singe your brain. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it is something that runs billions of times per day and it mm-hmm. runs a really huge amount of, you know, things. So, but basically, you know, compare and contrast and, and do some, some reading of C code. And that is something that, yeah, just didn't happen. We we had our book and we did our exercises and that was the intro to, to C. And, uh, you know, I had it also as sort of a side effect, I guess. Um, we use C for our, um, uh, what are they called? Data structures class. So mm-hmm. that was sort of an accidental thing, but um, we had to learn that. So we learned a little more uh, doing that. But interestingly, both the data structures class and the intro to C were taught by TAs. Not that there aren't any good mm-hmm. TAs, but. Uh, Unfortunately, the ones that I had they weren't that great. And then the place that I probably learned the most, and just because I had to on my own, was uh, computer vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to do, you know, implement the algorithms and data structures for that kind of stuff. That was actually really interesting, and I learned a lot. But looking back, probably not not the right thing. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know this doesn't affect web developers all that much. A lot of them are probably never going to look at C or do anything in C, but everything that they do, you know, or a lot of mm-hmm. things they do is written in C. And maybe mm-hmm. if, they go, if they go deeper, um, they would uh, come to, to know that or get in touch with it at least in, in some way. But mm-hmm. another, another really interesting thing, um, you know, as, as much as you can sort of criticize the ugliness, and I think this applies everywhere. This doesn't just apply to, to C um mm-hmm. is that if code is ugly or it appears to be ugly it is probably that way because engineering tradeoffs had to be made you know mm. either something has to be backwards compatible and run on you know x number of platforms so it has to compile across you know multiple compilers or you know there was some sort of deadline issue or something you know and and it's not like um you know, it was probably not done on purpose or, you know, there was Mm -hmm. some sort of trade off that had to be made and that's why it looks the way it does. And, uh, you know, if we could all go back and rewrite things, it would look better the second time. But, um, or if, you know, if you could do it, um, in, in increments, rewrite it, and you had the time, and, and it was okay to do that, then it might might be different. But I thought that was a really interesting point, because a lot of people beat themselves up to say, Oh, my gosh, I just read, you know, some code I wrote a year ago. And it's terrible. Yeah, of course, you learned a lot more since then. But mm-hmm. you also have, most likely, some business constraints and things like that, that required you to do things that way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so, so then the other things that he suggests that, that classes should teach, and unfortunately I didn't get this one either, is <laughs> make use of the static analysis tools. You know, there's, there's static code analysis, an, analyzers, mm-hmm. not just for C. This goes for all kinds of things. And um, also, you know, learn the compiler flags, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that, of course, applies specifically to C or C++ or anything like that. Um, but basically be, you know, start to learn how to deal with warnings and fix them. you know because mm-hmm. for example, in PHP land, you can just turn the warnings off and then everything mm-hmm. looks hunky-dory and fine, but actually under the under the hood, the the interpreter is screaming at you, you know <laughs> so, and and you know, a lot of people just, don't have the understanding that you should probably fix warnings. They are called warnings for a reason, and they will Mm -hmm. probably bite you uh, at some point or another. Mm -hmm. And the other really good point was um, learn how to detect errors and fix them. So basically debugging, right? Mm -hmm. That is not, you know, anything. I I mean, I remember because I learned um, this other language that starts with a P, um, before. <laughs> and so I was used to writing not complex things, but I, I think I'd written something like maybe 25,000 lines of code before that, which was an app. So I had, I had a general idea of how to approach, um, you know, writing apps that are not just 20 lines of code, basically, you know, mm-hmm. make a chunk, make it work, you know, modularize it, etc But I, a lot of my, um, the people that I was in class with that, you know, we worked together, they had no concept of that. They would just write the whole thing out, and then when it didn't work, they didn't know where to start and figure out how to how to debug the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was nothing that was actually, um, you know, taught. And I don't know how much of this you can teach in a class, per se, but you could at least... You know, mention it. So I was curious. I don't know if we've probably gotten into this. I know you you've written C and you know C, but Mm -hmm. um, what was your sort of your learning experience? Was it even in college, or how did that all? Yeah.
0: So so I did things totally wrong. Um, By where by wrong I mean there was uh, there's a general accepted order of how you're like what languages you're supposed to learn and when, Um, and I totally didn't do that. Um, call me rogue. I don't care. (laughs) Um, But basically, so I, when I was in high school, I took uh, an advanced placement computer science class, which at the time was in C++. So my very first programming language was C++, which Mm. I think for a lot of people, it's like, what? Mm C++ is your first language, it should be C first, or assembler first, or whatever. No, I did C++ first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then like it was a it was a high school computer science course where a bunch of libraries were created for you. And so it was really there was so much abstraction made for to make way for like the C++ bit. So like you learned C++ but you didn't really learn C++. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't learn anything about testing. Um I learned a little bit about debugging using like, you know, C out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um, this is why I'm such a good JavaScript developer, by the way, <laughs> console log all the way. Um, and, uh, and then, so I did an internship in college that they, they were like, well, do you know any programming languages? And I was like, well, yeah, I know C And they're like, oh, good. So then, you know, C <laughs> and I was like, yeah, uh, totally, obviously, obviously, <laughs> because the rule is you're supposed to learn C before you learn C++, right. but I didn't, so I basically had to do a massive crash course in C um, while I was in at an internship in college, so I had 10 weeks to do, to build this robot, so this, this robot basically, um, I like to call it the puppy dog robot, because it would uh, follow people around a parking lot. Um <laughs> it's like a little puppy dog so and like if you went further away it would like go faster after you and it would just kind of like try to follow you around and if you like started running it would start running with you and then um it wouldn't run into you as soon as it got close it would it would slow down mm-hmm. right and then it would like stop if you were stopped and all that good stuff um and so i wrote that in c <clears throat> but i didn't really know c because i didn't really know c++ and on the very last day of my internship which was Coincidentally, also the last day I wrote C, um, <laughs> we, we brought the robot out for its its big uh, huzzah, like, we're going to do this thing. And, like, it performed beautifully for about five minutes and then crashed, like, like software crashed uh-huh. and didn't move. And it was like, oh, my God, what's happening? And, like, I literally had two hours left for the rest of my internship. I mean, it was like, I don't know, half an hour or something oh, like that. Man. And and they were like, oh, there's a memory leak. <laughs> and I was like, well, and I'm done here, folks, Then I'll see you later, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so there was a memory leak. I never learned, like, now I think, you know, oh gosh, 10 years later, I can look back on that moment and be like, oh, I know what I did wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, But at the time, I had no idea, and I didn't really care. Uh, But I totally learned it backwards. But what's interesting about this blog post, I'm like kind of skimming it uh, while you were talking about it, is that a lot of these things are not specific to C. Like the idea of of like learning to debug, learning Mm -hmm. your tools, knowing how to how to catch the gotchas, like paying attention to warnings, not just errors. Like that's huge. That's really important. I really wish most computer science students who graduated and then went to end up in like startups and stuff knew this stuff before they even showed up at the startups. Like it's amazing to me how um, computer science as a major is becoming really, really popular um, probably because everybody wants to be the next Zuck. But honestly, very, a very tiny percentage of the, of the people that I've seen coming straight out of college are ready to be part of a, a fast moving engineering team. Mm-hmm. Like, they just don't know a lot of the basics and uh, where basics mean like syntax is nothing. Syntax, anybody can learn. It can pick up in a couple of days, whatever. That's what reference manuals are for. But the, the higher level understanding of something is broken. Now I need to go and figure out why that piece of the engineering process isn't taught. And so if you don't teach it, then you don't necessarily learn it. I mean, some people do learn it by happenstance, but there's no, like, structured, hey, every single piece of code you write is a puzzle. And if you're really smart about it, you'll make sure that you make each individual piece easy to fit into the puzzle so you can just kind of build everything together and, you know, you make sure that you put, like, bits of glue on the back of the puzzle so everything stays put. And if you need to change something, it's fine. You know, like test writing and all that good stuff. Most kids have no idea. We had an intern a couple years ago who, like, was like, "So testing, how do I do
1: that?" And I'm like,
0: "You don't know how to write tests? Oh my god, we have, to, we have so much to teach you." Um,
1: yeah, but and- is it is it is it a um, well? See, I mean, every college, or I guess there's different there's colleges and colleges, or there's programs that are better than others, um, and and uh, you know, I don't know where mine fits in, but. I didn't know what a I'd never used the debugger on on a on anything mm. um coming out of college. That's insane to me. I've been thinking back at that, you know. And then first job, it was okay, you have a cord you have a core dump. Now um you know, run mm. that and, and and connect to the debugger and tell us what's going on. I'm like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so Hmm? Yeah, I mean, all these things, okay, you can build in debug mode, and it builds it with symbols, and, you know, oh, I I didn't know that, so very, very interesting. I mean, I don't know if you can, you know, come out of college or come out of anything like that with in-depth knowledge of that, but at least have some sort of idea of... um, you know what's possible and how it all works you know yeah and uh, that for me unfortunately wasn't wasn't the case i had to learn that on the job which i guess maybe that's just how it is but um
0: yeah but it's so funny because i think people expect expect more understanding before you know people show up like wait what do you mean you don't understand how to use git
1: or you know whatever Mm -hmm. it's like
0: well they just didn't know (laughs) didn't teach me that
1: (laughs) i mean you could do that as as part of projects you know i mean version control was yeah that wasn't on the horizon at all i mean no you know totally maybe it's too much if you know if you have a one semester college course and it's a few hours a week Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know what's realistic but um yeah i do wish i we had touched some of these things like static analysis and all that that's pretty that's easy to or easy-ish to understand, I think, and to teach, too, you know, that, hey, there's this thing that can interpret your code and tell you there, you know, are it either absolutely problems in it or maybe there's problems, you know, mm-hmm. uh, based on what you've written here. But, pff, yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had sort of a similar similar experience, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I still think Despite the fact that computers have been around for decades now, I still think it's the wild west. Nobody yeah. actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, Nobody ever knows what they're doing. Yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting. <laughs> he says at the end, you know, um, he doesn't think that C, uh, or, you know, some people might say you shouldn't teach C at all anymore. Um, and he thinks that mm. it's maybe not supposed to be your first or second language. Um, but the other point that he makes is also, okay, but there is... An insane amount of C out there. Even if mm. we stop writing C and go to something like Rust, um, you mm. know, it's still going to be, you know, tons and tons and tons of C to maintain. So you're going mm. to come in contact as a systems programmer for sure, one way or another. And speaking of Rust, there's a. I just saw a tweet earlier today. Our uh, very own listener. Um, Fredrik uh, uh Anderson, he from mm. Sweden. He wrote a Rust for no developers introduction to Rust. I Ooh. haven't gotten through the whole thing, but hey, gotta gotta read that. So
0: That could be really fun. Yes. I would Let's let's put that in the show notes cuz I yeah. put a link in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just remembered that.
0: Um, yeah, yeah it's so funny the but the the things that we put in the show notes, I actually, I keep referring back to them. <laughs> yesterday, just yesterday, I was like, hey, we talked about this thing on the podcast. Where is it? And so I like had to go through like different episodes looking at the different. So, okay.
1: Yeah, they are useful. Things. Yes. They're super
0: useful. <laughs> I love I love our show titles, but they have absolutely
1: no bearing. I no, talk you can't about. <laughs> tell what the show is about at all.
0: <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like, Okay. I know where I was when we were talking about this. So let's look at the dates. Yeah. I thought it was sooner mm-hmm. than that, but it was like something from like February. Um, yeah. Actually, so it was, it was Budo. Um, oh I, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I've been, I've decided to start playing, fiddling a la- around with react just a little bit, oh. just a little bit. And, and I was like, so I'm looking at tutorials online and everything. And, and there was like there's a whole bunch that are like, okay, so set up an environment and make this thing happen, use Webpack. And I'm like, Webpack, forget Webpack. I don't <laughs> want to use Webpack. Um and so I was like, okay, I don't really want to start up a whole new node server, like, you know, install Express and do all this stuff and then have browserify and everything. And I was like, wait, wait, we talked about this. <laughs> we talked about some tool that I can just use that's just like, you know, boom. Index.js, make it happen. And that tool is Budo. And oh my God, it was amazing. It nice. was like, like it took me probably about four minutes to figure out what the hell was going on because wow. it was just too easy. I was like, this is too easy. It's taking me too long. I have to figure Sweet. this out. So,
1: so Khalil like, is right. We need a, we need a CLI.js. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, so, so what I did was... Um, so the thing about Budo uh, to remind listeners or brand or tell brand new listeners, hi new listeners, um, is uh, Budo is a it's a command line tool that allows you to set up a really quick like super rapid prototyping development environment. So if you have one piece of HTML like one HTML file and one index.js file, and you want to use Browserify. That like you only need to touch two files and then you can say budo index.js and boom it'll just automatically work. Um, so what I did was I had an index.html and I put in the sample HTML code and then um, and then it wanted me to. Like, this was a, like, you don't need Webpack or ES6 or JSX or anything tutorial. And I was like, yeah, yeah, give me the bare bones, absolutely nothing necessary. And it was like, now copy and paste uh, these script tags. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm I'm sure that there's a React NPM module, and sure enough, there was. And I'm sure there's a React DOM module, and sure enough, there was. So I was like, okay, so I just had index.js, and I just did var react equals require react var react dom equals require react dom. And then I could just, and then I just started writing the straight up JavaScript straight out of the tutorial. And I went, uh, boodo index.js and boom, it immediately gave me a, a URL. It was a local host URL that had my H, it served up my HTML and then browserified the index.js file. And there it was. It was all right there super easy. I could just keep going with the tutorial. I didn't have to like think about anything else. It was just straight up go. And then I was like, okay, so I've played around with this straight up JavaScript stuff. This is fine, but let me learn about this JSX thing. And so like, then I found another tutorial that was talking about JSX and they're like, well, in order to use JSX, you need to use Webpack. So then you can use you can have the compiler, so you can use ES6 and this and that. And I was like, this is way too much work. And I was like, surely Browserify has a JSX uh, like transpiler. And sure enough, npm install reactify. So I just went in <laughs> and I did budo index.js and then dash dash, which the dash dash basically allows you to send. Um, it allows you to send arguments to your. Uh, scripts. So dash, dash, and then a dash T for transpile, and then reactify. And what it did was it took the regular .js file, and I started writing JSX in it, and it automatically used browserify to transpile it and turn it into straight up JavaScript for me. So it was like, I had to do very little work to start playing around with React just to like the barest, minimalist, environment at all. It took me, like, I think I ended up playing with React for about 45 minutes to an hour. And I got to actually spend 45 minutes of that hour, 30 30 to 45 minutes of that time, actually playing with React, because I didn't have to set up a whole environment and figure out what tools I needed and blah, 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 blah. It was so nice. That is Sorry. really
1: sweet, and I think it. That's kind of how it should be. I mean, You think so too. You know, that's why so I've too. been sort of, you know, from the beginning. Once, once Ember started doing this kind of thing, where it's even more extreme, um, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> everything comes prepackaged. and uh, you don't even have to really include much of anything to get a bare bones Ember app running. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's basically the experience that you get. You know exactly what you described, maybe even a little less fiddling. And you're up and running and can focus yeah. on what you're actually trying to do, right? Right. I mean, you don't exactly. have to build all this stuff and figure out this entire pipeline. Because yeah. I mean, we've we've been over this, I think a few times. But yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's just too overwhelming. And uh, if I want to do that fun. later on, you know, once I maybe have to, or I'm interested in it, then I still can do it, but mm-hmm. I don't have to do it to get to, you know, a result and right. uh, it saves an insane amount of time.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, it's kind of like using Budo to play with, uh, to play with client side JavaScript is kind of like using, um, using the rebel, the node rebel for yeah. server side module playing around, right? Like I just I just need to include this module so I can start playing around with it. Mm-hmm. Um so easy, so fast. I think and it really so I probably like it a lot because it really speaks to my let's have fun first before we start banging our heads against the wall. Yep,
1: exactly. Um,
0: like this is just my method. This is just my way of life. I refuse to spend <laughs> more time hitting my head against something than having fun with it. Yeah. So I want to have fun first and then I'll bang my head against the, the, the wall or the table or whatever. But you have to prove to me that it's going to be worth it. I'm that not is, going to put that's in the pain.
1: Awesome point. Yeah. You know, fantastic. so,
0: so Budo just lets me just play and then, and learn and see if like, cause I have to make, like I have to make this decision. Is this, is this the right direction for the web team right now? Should we be looking at this? Like, I'm also like I also considered other front end uh, uh, frameworks and, and all that good stuff. But it's like at the end of the day, I need to answer the question, is this the right tool for my team right now? Mm-hmm. And I need to and I need to make that decision as quickly as possible. If I'm spending two to three hours figuring out, well, which transpiler should <laughs> I be using? And how do I hook up browser fi? And what about this and that? And it's like, that's two to three hours of my time that is completely gone mm-hmm. that I should have been spending playing with this actual tool and like answering the question, is this worth my time? And I think for a lot of people, like, is this worth my time immediately gets to know because it just takes too long to figure out the stupid wiring. Yeah, and, it's like, and I think, you know, somebody
1: starting out, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, Standing mm-hmm. in front of this pile of stuff that you have never heard of or you vaguely know what it is and then you're supposed to wire it up and ugh, no, it's just, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome, well, so. confirmed, it's good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's good. Um, but speaking of fun, um, so earlier this week, there was, or maybe it was last week, the time, time just keeps on slipping. Slipping, slipping um, into the future. I think. Um, anyway, um, somebody will get that. Um, so there was a conversation about robots in this Slack channel the other day, and um, and I just I felt really bad because one of our wonderful uh, Reactivists was getting into into Node bots, but they were like, "Well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the Arduino starter kit." And I'm going to learn all the stuff in C. And and, and then I'm going to learn how how electronic components work. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get to the NodeBot stuff, like with Johnny 5, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, don't do that. Start with Johnny 5. It is really, really, really straightforward. It's so much less painful than all of the, like, Arduino code and C code and blah, blah, blah. Like, it is literally define the port, or defi- like instantiate servo uh, and list what port it's attached to and then just say servo.2 and give it an angle measurement, mm. done. Wow. You have now moved your servo, fantastic. Whereas with like Arduino and C code, you need to be like, uh, use this port, uh, give it a pulse width modulation of 30% and record how far that goes and then this and then that because you can't actually instantiate anything. You have to just, you know, send a specific amount of, like it's stupid. It's it's so complicated and overwhelming and like banging head against wall over and over and over again until you actually feel like you've accomplished something. And while yes, when you when you accomplish something, you're like, yay, I made the light bulb blink. It's like, but what if I told you you didn't have to spend three hours to make the light bulb go on and just have to spend fifteen minutes? Anyway. I don't know that that's necessarily their experience. And I'm and I, I apologize if if that was actually a lot easier than what I made it out to be. But I just I just can't be behind the the idea of like pain before gain. I want gain first. Give me the gain. <laughs> then maybe we'll talk about the pain. Um, but but um, I I think I've mentioned it on this podcast, if not I will mention it now, but certainly on other podcasts, I've mentioned it. Um, there is this amazing tool for learning electronics. And it's it's it, it's technically for kids. Um, but every adult I know who's ever played with it thought it was amazing. Uh, it is this thing called Squishy
1: Circuits. Um,
0: have, I, have I mentioned this on the podcast? No, I have?
1: think you mentioned this on ChangeLog.
0: Okay. Yes. All right.
1: Cause I, I'm yeah, sorry. That totally I do rings so bell. many. I do so <laughs> You're many. You're just podcasts. everywhere.
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry. But anyway, Squishy Circuits is um, so. Uh, uh, what's the word? Um, I should. I should note. Caveat. Uh, the person who created Squishy Circuits was one of my TAs in college. Um, she's incredible and amazing. And so, shout out to Henry Posenberg Thomas. Um, but. She is a professor at the University of St. Thomas in, uh, in Minnesota, and she and her grad students several years ago created this thing called Squishy t- Circuits, which is basically Play-Doh. It's, it, so you make two different types of Play-Doh. One is conductive, and the other one is
1: non-conductive. When you say make it, is that like add stuff to Play-Doh or make it from scratch?
0: You can actually make play doh from scratch. Okay. It's like flour and sugar and
1: et cetera. Oh yeah, yeah. And so yeah. salt and so, dough, I think we call it over exactly. here. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yes. So what's funny is that you have so the, the, the main difference between the conductive and the non-conductive doughs is one is made with sugar and one is made with salt. Ah. And and so the I think it's the sugar one is not conductive and the salt one is conductive. I could be having this wrong. But basically, you 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 can make it in batches at home really easily, um, and it's a fun it's a fun thing for kids and parents to do anyway because you know you're making a mess in the kitchen and that's always fun, um, <laughs> and it's non toxic and you know it's just fun. You can do this from with anybody from like you know two years old and older, um, but. What's super cool about it is you can you can use the conductive and non-conductive dough and you can put them together and then you can add a battery to it and you can actually make circuits out of this dough. And so the Squishy Circuits team has been going around, I want to say for almost more than five years at this point. Like they've been doing it for a while. Um, and people have like Squishy Circuits parties and they like build circuits that have like Motors running and LEDs oh flashing and all this stuff. And it's just components that you can buy at your local, like, electronics store. Like, like they're really cheap. Basically, you could take your Arduino, uh, uh, like, your basic Arduino kit and just, instead of the Arduino, use uh, Play-Doh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can make circuits, and you can really understand like this is how it cons- how a circuit works. And da 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 da. So basically, uh,
1: you could take like a, a battery pack that has I don't yep. know two wires coming out of it, make your circuit in in this with this dough, and then mm-hmm. at the other end stick a, a, a either a an LED or a light bulb or something in it, and then connect it and see what happens and play with yeah. it that way and understand. Yes. That yeah okay.
0: Yeah, it's really really <clears throat> cool. Um, and you can make serial circuits and parallel circuits and you know all this other stuff. And um, and it's just play-doh. So mm-hmm. like you don't have to worry about breaking your Arduino. If anything, probably your your sum total cost is under 20 bucks because it's like, you know, you, you buy the really, really cheap kit of LEDs and servos and things, which okay, maybe that'll cost you eighteen dollars, and then you buy two dollars worth of ingredients. <laughs> Most of which are already in your cupboard of like flour and sugar and water and yeah. whatever, um, and so so that's really cool. Um, I think that that's
1: yeah that's a that's a really great idea, and, and I'm sort of my wheels are spinning. It's like something yes. I could do with well with, with um, the two older ones, obviously, but <laughs> yeah. having not just because we have this this um, somebody gave him. My son, he's seven. Gave him this this kit. There's basically some boards and connectors and motors mm-hmm. and and switches and stuff like that. And then there's like a an instruction manual on to build you know the various circuits. And that mm-hmm. was um, was pretty successful, I think. But if you introduce like the the squishy mess factor, it would mm-hmm. be way cooler.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is this is a shameless plug because um, I want this project to be ridiculously successful forever and ever. There is a Kickstarter for a Squishy Circuits kit that you can basically it it'll give you everything you need: Play-Doh plus components plus instruction manuals, etc. And and these are people who think a lot about play and learning, and um, so it's not going to be your super dry like. Uh, introduction to Emacs O'Reilly book. Right. Like it's gonna be <laughs> Yeah. It's gonna be like like <clears throat> really fun, and exciting, like with lots of pictures and colors and it's just really, really fantastic. So I'm putting the link for that in, in the show notes. But you um, said
1: was there was a Kickstarter meaning... No there is. There oh, is there a Kickstarter. Is. Okay.
0: Yeah. So by the time this episode is published, which should be tomorrow, um there'll there'll still be more than a week Depends to get on, in on this on, on... on this
1: on the rhinos and bats. Oh, that's <laughs> right.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it'll come out before the end of the week. Um, but there's like 13 days left oh, yeah. um, we'll, as we'll of today. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll make that. But um, and they've already met their goal, so it's not that big a deal. But I would, I just, I want everybody who has the opportunity to get in on this to get in on it. Um, no, that's perfect it's because
1: just, if you if you get everything in a nice nice little package, that's so yes. that's so convenient for people that don't have time to go to the store (laughs) or don't don't know what to get, you know? And uh, so that, that's totally awesome. I love that. Exactly.
0: So like, if you like to get your hands dirty and you want to start learning a little bit about a little bit more about circuits, Mm -hmm. um, in a way that won't make you like, like let's have the fun before, like, you know, let's have the gain before the pain.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, this is, uh, this to me is one of the most fun ways to do it. Um, and I, I just, so, you absolutely do not have to participate in this Kickstarter. There is no requirement at all. Um, everybody is still, you know, welcome to hang out in our Slack channel. Et cetera, but, um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to push this too hard. Uh, you need to
1: show us your receipt.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, no, but but I do know that there are people in the Slack channel who have mentioned like hey, I really want to get into this, but I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't say that they're scared. I just know that they are. Because um, electronics are, are are scary. Hardware yeah. is scary. It's not... It It's... Even if you're only spending $5 or 5 euros or 5 pounds or 5 insert currency here um, on components, like, it's not like a computer where you can just create your... You know, you can run Budo and then shut it all off and... You've spent five bits <laughs> of energy on uh, on on something like you're actually spending actual money, right? Um, and so, anytime that there is a a safe and fun way to learn something that you you know are probably a little bit more than uh, a bit more than just a little nervous about, um, I think I think that's an opportunity. So yeah, I I uh, love
1: the aspect that it's. It's something that both kids can totally get into, yeah, and adults the same, you mm-hmm. know. Because my, it, this is the, and and I, I love that analogy that you make. You know, you want to have the fun first, because mm-hmm. um, my son, he's he's fiddling around with, and he's really really into Minecraft, and he's like, I want to be a game developer. I'm like, okay, great, but <laughs> you know, it's like I don't want to, you know you know, poo poo on the parade. I'm like, okay, first you have to do this and that. And, you know, it doesn't take just an afternoon to make a game, you know, but, you know, to, to get into something like this, where you can have immediate results and you can get your hands dirty, literally and Mm -hmm. and have a good time and and see results. And maybe that leads to, you know, more interest and understanding. And that's, that's totally awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I agree. Very good. Very
1: good suggestion.
0: Yeah. So um, folks definitely check that out. Um, So, and the other big news that just came out today, GitHub has changed their pricing model. Did you see this?
1: I I skimmed it. Um, I saw some pros and cons and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like GitHub's claiming that it's going to bring the price down. But yes, tell me more.
0: Yeah. So basically what they're doing is they're changing their whole pricing model from per repo so not necessarily so like for the they're like different tiers right github of yesterday um it's it was like there's like the basic tier and then like the mini and then the large or whatever and it was it you paid more money to have more private repos and so and and in the biz, uh, we call that a per repo pricing. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily exactly one to one, but you know, more repos means more money. Right. Um, and now they're changing that. They're changing it entirely to be a per person or a per seat pricing, which means uh, you have unlimited number of private repos, unlimited, unlimited, unlimited. But if you have so for the individual user, it's going to be way cheaper. Um, it's seven dollars a month, which was, I believe, their mini pricing anyway, um, and you get to have as many unlimited private repos as you like. So, whereas before you might have been paying like ten to fifteen or twenty dollars a month for yourself, so that you could have more and more private repos, now it's just one price fits everybody. Mm-hmm. Where it's so that's cheaper for for individuals. Where it gets more interesting is for organizations, and GitHub of yesterday. Uh, organizations you could have as many people as you wanted on your organization in your organization and then you would pay per private repo so if you were a company like i don't know any company um if, if you're a company and you have 10 repos you paid a certain amount of money but as soon as like you hit that that special moment where you're like okay shoot i need a, an, an 11th repo um then you had to pay more and uh, and again it would be for like 11 to 20 repos or something. I don't remember. Um, yesterday is so over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the important <clears throat> thing to note here is um, now it's unlimited repos, but you're, now you're paying per seat. So if you were an org with only, or an organization with only two people in it, um, your, your costs go down significantly, right? Because maybe you had two people, but 30 private repos, well, now you have as many repos as you want, but then you only have to pay for two people. But where things get more complicated is if you have more people than you had repos. So it gets more expensive. Say if you have 30 people and you're a company that's growing and you only have some static 15 number, like a number of like some 15 uh, private repos or something. Well, then, then you have to think about, okay, well,
1: can now you have one or the other second? or they're switching this completely? So you can uh, only go with the, the, the today GitHub. Right. That you're
0: so what they've done is they've made it so that if you had an organization before you've been grand, like if you uh, started yeah. your organization yesterday or earlier, <clears throat> you've been grandfathered into the new, into the old pricing with right. the old pricing. So you can keep that pricing if you like. Um, but any new organizations moving forward uh, have to be in the new pricing model. Now, if you wanted to, you can also switch your organization from the old pricing model to the new pricing model. That's totally up to you, and you can change at any time. But, you know, if you like having your 150 employees in your org with 12 repos and you want to just keep that going forever, then fine.
1: So how does the the user management or the user account management, because now it's switching from the org paying for a block of... um, repos and you can have your employees on you know whatever their account is join that and you add Mm -hmm. them to the org and they have access to those repos but Mm -hmm. does the org then pay now pay for that let's say you know i join somewhere and they they need a new seat basically right do they pay for my seat only for that org or do i now all of a sudden have a well i guess yes it would be that way so yeah, it's I, per it's yeah. per seat per org. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So
0: yeah. Um they have a so they have a frequently asked questions on their page and ah. it, it says uh for a paid organization on github.com, what kinds of users will be charged? So um so you basically have to purchase a seat for each user. Um, but what is defined as a seat, right? Because like read only for public modules, it doesn't really count as a seat. That's not that doesn't really count. So um, so a seat counts as organization members and owners, pending invitations. So as soon as you invite someone, you start paying, even if they don't accept their invitation. Um, and then outside collaborators with access to one or more private re- repositories, you have to pay for them too. But if it's a an outside collaborator with access to only public repositories, then they don't really count as a seat. And billing managers also don't count as a seat. Um, so that basically allows you to, like, if you wanted to, if you let's say you have your organization and um, your chief uh, operational officer, your, your COO, is in charge of paying for the org, like mm-hmm. your COO probably isn't coding, yeah. So there's no point in actually charging for right. that person. Um, so that's fine; they won't charge you for that person. Um, but if you are, so it's it's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It makes it definitely more complicated, I think. But uh, for some, it could be drastically better, and for others, the opposite.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's it's yeah. very interesting. Um, certainly, at npm, we've been following this along pretty carefully because we do do the per user pricing as mm-hmm. opposed to um, the per in our case, per package pricing. Um, And people have been like, but that's not how GitHub does it. And now we can be like, (laughs) oh, yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, like, certainly it's not, like, it's not necessarily, you know, perfect. But, um, like, and, and NPM's pricing model has some work that needs to be done. I don't think I'm saying anything out of line by that. I don't. It's really confusing. Everybody yeah. writes into us and they're like, what "The hell is your pricing model?" I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, "Okay, we're working on it." We're yeah, well, that's what
1: it. that's what I meant. I mean, if you have a clear, yeah. just a block, okay, it gives you 10 repos. It might not be ideal, but it's very easy to understand. Whereas yes. the other, exactly. yeah, but yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Probably still so, simpler than you know other big companies licensing systems (laughs) (laughs) per cpu and all that kind of stuff yes yes so
0: anyway very good um but yeah so fun times Mm -hmm. fun times um and uh i think that
1: sort of brings us to a close no
0: yeah i think so
1: anything else you scooped up this week no no. Okay. <laughs> Nerp. Nope. Right.
0: Just you know. Um. I'm trying to figure out how do I we we have had so many people join the Slack oh, yeah. channel. Lots of new people. It is people. unbelievable. That's amazing.
1: Um. So. In no small part due to a certain person on this show right now.
0: <laughs> what? No. No. I mean, maybe they came. Well, there's for a the bunch. Bot, I think there's a bunch of people pretty. that said
1: that they came from yeah, I know. the Change Log show, and that was. I have to say it again. An awesome show. So,
0: <laughs> I um, mean, they may <clears throat> have come from Rockbot, but they're staying for the crab-eating mongoose, <laughs> right? right? Or or the jungle cat, yeah. or the otter uh, otter civet, or the northern tree shrew. <laughs> Full circle, full full circle.
1: <laughs> By the way, I saw uh, I saw a wombat video. I don't know where it came across. It It was basically this guy holding a wombat called Pete and feeding him corn, and <gasps> it farted. It was hilarious. <laughs> but wow, that is one like powerful yes. little little animal. It's like it's very very. Um, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. I thought they were more petite and you know but they are they're like they're big beefy wow it's like they're muscle like,
0: yeah they're they're the size of like a good medium-sized dog or larger yeah. like they're not like a quokka is about
1: cat sized but they also look extremely solid like
0: oh yeah. yeah so they're so fun wombat fox uh <laughs> the a wombat's butt is actually like the it's like solid bone oh. it's not it's not just muscle, and the reason for that is because they're burrowing am- animals and um it, like sometimes maybe they like burrow and they can only get so far. The idea is that if an animal is trying to attack them and tries to bite uh. their butt, they won't actually get anywhere and won't hurt it's just you know really rock solid so like you can't <laughs> sink your teeth into a wombat butt
1: crazy evolution so weird. Just,
0: FYI, I know you. Ever, I know everybody wanted to know that about wombats. Um, so not hard headed, hard butted. <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
1: <laughs> oh, we are so diverse on this show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, we try, we try. Um, so shout outs to the wonderful uh, new reactivists who have joined our Slack channel. Um, shout out to Felix Jung and uh, Fearphage. Fear f- I don't know, feared, f- fear Fearphage. Um X EXChez EX I don't know. Um <clears throat> let's see ADZ and Ander conson Uh W wow. B R um, T Deakins, and R.J. Trout. Gosh, how long has it been since we've done an episode? A <laughs> while. Wow. Um, Jay Joaquim Iwazaru, uh, Brayden337. Oh my goodness. Uh, Ellen nelango and Sirius Manuel. I think we said hello to them. Yep,
1: yeah, that rings a bell, Sirius. <laughs> yep.
0: And goodness gracious. Yeah, now we're getting into like, Mid April, A Young, and Pete Ben. Okay, I think I, I think I think we've we've definitely. I okay.
1: think you got it. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, cool. extra shout outs to some. Yep. Doesn't, Doesn't hurt. Be more special <laughs> than anyone else. Just you know, you get an extra shout out. Exactly. I mean, you're still special. Everybody's still special. Everybody is special, and they're very unique in wonderful ways.
1: Yep. So I think we have, um, if I'm operating this device correctly this time.
0: <laughs> scroll. Remember scroll. Scroll, wait, 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 scroll you're using and refresh. The... Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're
0: using the web page, right? So yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay. So 13 days ago, uh, which would be just after the last show, right. we got a five star review from uh, Imagineering IO. It says great, informative, and funny podcast. A fan of all these guys. Always great to get the notification on their Slack channel that a new podcast is live. Highlight of my week, covering everything from tech to design via UX. Don't mention banking and wombats. It's got it all (laughs) subscribe, sit back and enjoy. (laughs) Awesome. That is
0: super awesome. Thank you. Thank
1: you. you. (laughs) Oh, that's funny.
0: Wombats are a topic.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Excellent.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I mean, friends who are, you know, hanging out with us, um, if you want to leave a, uh, a, 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 what? If you want to leave a, what's the
1: word? Review.
0: Yeah, that's it. If you want to leave a review.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. It's only one o'clock in the afternoon over there, right? Shh.
0: It's been a long day. It's been a long day. Words are hard. Um, but yeah, uh, please please do leave a review. Uh, it helps other, other potential listeners find out about our show. Um, and goodness knows we love getting more reactivists. Um, that, by the way, is Khalil's term for all of you wonderful listeners. Um, so if you hate it, um, may, might I recommend... Uh, ganging up on him with some rough toothed dolphins. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> the list is really long. <laughs> this,
0: this list is huge and I'm only in the mammal section. There's like fish and reptiles and and birds and only one insect. Really? That's not. That's impossible. Mm. Cicadas. I that. okay. there's, there's I'm sure there are other special insects in Thailand. Anyway, Hope you're having fun in Thailand, Khalil. Yes, I'm um, sure
1: he is. Khalil show tweets has, on Twitter, yes. by the way.
0: Yes, he is. He's a, uh, what's his Twitter handle?
1: Khalil tweets. Yes. Yes.
0: In, innovative. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I can remember his. Let's see if I yes. can do mine. I'm H Gladergots on Twitter.
0: Yay. Yes. Yay. <laughs> and I am Rockbot. And uh, definitely check out our show notes at reactive.audio. And tweet at us. Uh, we have a Twitter handle for the show as well, uh, at reactivepod. So um, say hey. Come hang out in our Slack channel. Uh, the link to that is in the show notes as well. Leave a review. Um, and, and find a reason to laugh today.
1: Excellent advice. And yes. if you need help with that, go to the happy channel, and you are guaranteed Yes. To get one. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There's just no way you (laughs) can't.
0: I know. I I love it. I love that channel. I always smile. So, um, great.
1: All right. Thanks for
0: listening.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you very much. And I'll talk to you next week.
0: Sounds good.
1: All right. Bye. Bye.